We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. NBA Most Valuable Player, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis trailing the lob. Oh. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Two seconds. Middleton. Yes! Chris Middleton. Jumper. Got it. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Hello and welcome to the Eurostep Podcast Network. Eurostep win in six collab post game one of the Eastern Conference Finals with Atlanta winning game one on the road in Milwaukee and not only breaking the uh, perfect home record that Milwaukee has uh, has accrued during these playoffs. We have one person to blame for this, and that is a Mr. Ty Windish. He was in attendance in Pfizer Forum for the Bucks game today. And it's that's the only reason they lost. Joining me today is Adam McGee of the Win and Six podcast. Adam, how are you feeling? Uh, I've been better in the last few days, even. I have been better. I'm not at any kind of panic stations. I'm just pretty disappointed in the books we saw there. I didn't really see anything from the Hawks that I didn't expect or that I don't think the books necessarily have answers for. I think there was, you know, some of letting things get a little too loose, um, both in terms of just how guys were playing individually and how Bud was going with his rotation. And then there might also have been some overcorrections late on where it, it got just a little bit too far in the other way. But we'll get into all of that. All in all, though, it was it was bad. It was bad, and it was bad because right from the get-go i tweeted it and you um interacted with me on it too it felt like a regular season game i don't know if that's just because it was books hawks a Pfizer forum and you know that doesn't by nature feel like the eastern conference finals but it was the eastern conference finals the books didn't necessarily come out like that and they actually got worse as the game went on in quite a number of ways it was just really too late before they showed some resistance. The game was too close and then anything could happen and anything did happen. And here we are. Yep. So much was made about the Bucks uh, getting home court advantage in the Eastern Conference Finals and it's gone. We don't as want soon it. As it came, it's gone again. Uh, let's just, yeah, let's just get right into it. You mentioned right off the top, uh, the rotations. There was, uh, 
there is some guys playing today mm-hmm. <laughs> for Milwaukee. Um, we, we got to see guys like Bobby Portis and Bryn Forbes re-enter the rotation, which we figured would happen uh, after the Brooklyn series, given like they had such deficiencies in that series. And now that, you know, Brooklyn is behind them, they could get back into this, especially against this Hawks team. There was also a, a man by the name of Jeffrey Teagathan, no, just Jeff Teague. I don't know why I said that, but... I feel like this is usually Jordan's spot. I could be wrong, but I feel like his name is Jeffrey DeMarco Teague. I'm going to look it, it really? up now, and maybe I'm completely wrong on that, but that's that's my gut. Sure. Jeffrey DeMarco Teague, sure. Let's roll with that. I'm, uh, I'm right. Played... It is it is Jeffrey DeMarco Teague. There we go. That's <laughs> I don't know why I would ever question it. <laughs> so he played today, and like I tweeted, you have been... Uh, just saying that there's going to be a Jeff T game at some point, yep. which is why I'm okay with Jeff T getting minutes. No, like, no, that's that is know. not reason to be okay with it. No, it, getting a minute or like 30 seconds to be like, okay, if you can be magical in these 30 seconds and it can continue for the game, that's fine. No, you go out there and if you're Jeff T and you play five minutes and 42 seconds and just get absolutely filleted and cooked, the entire time that you are on the court and he's still out there for nearly six minutes which gets back to what you were talking about in terms of a regular season game this game did feel like that initially because also like the crowd there initially is just like my goodness it sucks what's going on there there? and you're going to be there for game two you need to bring more i'm sorry so yeah it's ty it was so flat it was really flat. It was it was late third quarter before the energy actually came into the arena, came into the team. And, you know, none of that is like an acceptable excuse because it's the conference finals and the crowd should be like the crowd were there in terms of numbers. The crowd were there, maybe not quite as many outside in the Deer District, but still very healthy crowd. Bit more energy, but regardless of that, like the players can't rely on the crowd and they weren't bringing it themselves. But yeah, you're 100% right. The team minutes, again, like really, I think a lot of what the books did here, for the most part, they were kind of getting away with it. And it was just pushed just a little too far, just a little too far. And he went under a couple of times. And Trey Young really found his rhythm on Jeff Teague. And it didn't go away. I don't know how concerned I am with the idea of him finding something generally like they just about pulled this one out and he had 48 points on 50% for the field and he had 11 assists. Why? What is up with guys putting up 48 against Milwaukee? KD? Back-to-back games. No. Right. Um, Well, I think part of it is the books will let you do that and they will let you do that quite happily and it's going to really annoy a whole lot of people for however many games the series goes. And, you know, if it ends up for, even if it ends up with a positive outcome for the books, there's going to be a lot of people annoyed about it. I don't personally feel that the wrong approach for the books is to let Trey Young kind of do mostly what he wants. That isn't what lost the books this game. Now, could they have played better defense on him throughout? For sure. I think, again, it was, Really only 
that kind of time out late in the third quarter is when everything kind of went up a gear. Then Trey was sitting out to start the fourth quarter, but even when he came back in, um, the Bucks were feeling something different. I think his shimmy, which we'll probably get to at some point, but TNT showed the footage of Giannis talking to the players in the timeout. And I guess saying, you know, we can't let him do that. We're not letting him do that. It certainly seemed like the Bucks had come out with a response to that. Drew Holiday, his defense on Trey Young, his best defense on Trey Young did come in those kind of final 12 minutes or so. It's just all too little too late. Just so flat, lacking intensity to begin with. I thought for most of the game, Giannis played very well for most of the game. I was struck, though, within the first four to five minutes of how he was kind of strolling up and down the court. And that was the regular season thing for me. It was nobody was just kind of a real purpose getting into sets, getting things moving, and then finding good shots. It was, Giannis was really at ease, and he was making great passes. They were missing those shots. But there's there's still a difference just in terms of getting yourself ready for the 48 minutes, getting up to the kind of intensity you want for this game. And they were kind of finding something early in spite of the fact they hadn't brought themselves to just kind of lock in at the level that they'd had to do for seven games against the Nets. That's what I'll probably throw to you first. I mean, this is something you mentioned on Twitter is the idea early on of, you know, the relief of not seeing KD on the other side of the court. Is this just the books taking their foot off the gas little thinking part of the job is done? Like they're not completely naive. They know they have to go and take care of business here, but having got past the nets, was there an element of complacency that you saw in their play? Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. They came out there, and like you just said, they looked flat. It's just they they assumed that they would be able to easily win this game, and that's how it looked out there on the court tonight. They were just, like you mentioned, just strolling up and down the court. There was no sense of purpose, no sense of direction in their play. The only guy who really seemed to be like pushing it a bit was Drew Holiday. We'll get into him later. Uh-huh. But just like even – it's not just the players, the decisions that were made, like – in a regular season game, you can get away with like spot minutes with Bobby Portis being your only big on the court against like an elite guard like Trey Young. This again is the Eastern Conference Finals. If that doesn't work for like maybe not just one possession, one possession is too small. If it's like two or three possessions in a row and you're still like, you know what, we're still going to roll with this, that's a bad decision, which is what happened today for Milwaukee. There was just a lot of errors that they could have just easily fixed themselves if they were locked into the moment. And they weren't locked into the moment. Like, my goodness. It wasn't like Drew Holiday, I just mentioned, was seemed to be like the only guy locked in. Giannis was locked in for a lot of the time as well. I shouldn't dismiss that. Chris Middleton had his moments. Yeah, and a poor shooting night from Chris Middleton. My goodness. But we just didn't see that same intensity, especially from guys like Brooke Lopez. Like PJ Tucker will always bring it, even though he was like a little lagging as well. But like, I don't know. It felt like, it just felt like they thought this was a regular game in February against Atlanta. And it was. <laughs> it was. And it was there to be won in the way that the books often win regular games in February, but they didn't even kind of follow true on that because at the end of the day, the Hawks did bring an intensity to it that for them, it was not a regular game in February. I mean, 
that is the thing that is concerning me. The only concern I really have so far. I'm not worried about Trey Young scoring 48 points and that being something that just the books are going to sink on. What I'm worried about is that the Hawks were ready for this series from the get-go. The completely inexperienced team, the team that are just going on this first ride through the playoffs, they came on the road and they were ready to go and compete. And, you know, they didn't start very well in terms of how they were playing. It wasn't their best start, but they were pretty consistent. There wasn't a major drop-off in their levels, which for the books, it was a real case of kind of ups and downs throughout the game. And it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. You've got to find some some improved consistency and you've got to really come and put it to the Hawks. And I think it was easy. <laughs> I think it was too easy at times in the book's mind because it did just feel like, you know, one of these runs and this whole game is going gonna, is gonna to break open. It is there for them to do that. They didn't do it. And if you let the Hawks hang around, this is going to be the story of the series. Like... Uh, I remain very, very confident that this is the book series to win. Like, not necessarily a series that has to be close. This is the book series. It's in their hands. But if you go game to game and you let the Hawks hang around, you're just, you're asking for trouble. That's what can happen when you're going up against Trey Young. It's what can happen when you're going up against other good shooters. And then it also is going to depend a little on some of the calls the books are making in terms of matching up on what exactly you're doing. I mean, one of the things that did interest me about the strategy here was the books felt very reactive. The books were reacting to the Hawks rather than taking it to the Hawks and being like, we're the better team here and we're just going to play our game and we're going to win. And that starts on the defensive end if the books are going to impose their will, which is just like, Look around. Look around the Hawks. Most of them, the books are more than capable of guarding. Look at who the books have just come from guarding and have done such a good job of locking down. That's there for them. They can zero in defensively and they can really kind of nullify the threat that the Hawks have to offer. The same applies offensively. I know the thing that Jordan and I talked a lot about on our preview, I'm sure it came up with you and Ty and yours too, is... If the books want size advantages, basically at every position in this series, they have them. They have them. You've got to target them. It's not all about targeting Trey Young because, yes, the Hawks may well look to hide Trey Young. It doesn't have to be Trey Young. This is the thing for the books in this series. Look at how easy, for as athletic and long as John Collins is, look at when Giannis kind of got the ball inside with any kind of momentum. John Collins is just, he's too small. He is too small. He's not strong enough. And it doesn't take a lot for Giannis to go and get his points. That kind of applies across the board. So it's right there for the books in their hands. It was in their hands all game long. But they weren't sharp like I expected them to be and like they needed to be. And let's be honest, they likely have time to recover here and recover quite comfortably. But this is the conference finals, you know? You've now dropped the game. (laughs) The Hawks just need three more now. Like, this isn't margin for error time. You know, you could lose a game that's a back and forth and the Hawks go and you go, yeah, they played great. The Bucks played great. That's just how it goes. That margin for error is now gone because you really let one slide right out of the gate. 
Yeah, <laughs> they really did let one slide here. Uh, where do you want to go? Let's let's talk about the defense. You talked about it being super reactionary in this sense, which to to their credit, that's something that we've hampered on them over the years for being like, oh, you guys aren't, you know, sort of quote unquote adjusting to what's happening on the court, right? So let's let's keep it fair, I guess. Like it it is reactionary. I get that. They were not imposing their will like they should have. I completely agree with you on that. However, I do think that they might have found something. One, they it's always been there. They didn't need to find it. But in order to beat Trey Young, just sort of picking you apart with floaters and lobs in that in-between area, you just go Giannis at the five and switch everything. And that's what happened late in that third quarter. I mean, they didn't switch everything. Brent Forbes was involved in actions off ball. They weren't switching that realistically. But mostly on ball actions, they were just switching completely one through five. And that bothered the Hawks. Like there was a stretch there where Giannis sort of took over defensively and offensively because the Hawks had nothing for him. Like you were mentioning, like John Collins, no chance. The only guy on the Hawks roster who has any semblance of a chance is Clint Capella. And even he didn't have that much of an answer tonight. And defensively, whenever Trey Young got switched on to Giannis, like Trey Young, like, oh boy, <laughs> I guess I'm going to take a step back three. And I, that's just Trey Young decision-making. And those weren't really falling for him at a consistent basis off of switches on the perimeter tonight. So again, there's room for error for that too. But that sort of worked. And that's why I'm not super worried about this game because they have the formula for success. Sure, Trey Young, if you want to play Brooke Lopez in a drop or a deep drop, I should say, he's, he's going to go up. If you're going to stay attached to the other players, that's fine. That's that's usually what happens in playoff series. You one if one guy gets going and the other guys, you know, aren't really doing anything, the other team usually wins that series. But if they're just going to play like a little in between drop and not let anyone sort of hang around and just get caught in no man's land, that's when you run into problems. But they did find a recipe for success there. It might have been reactionary, but it's probably for the best. I'm not sure I agree. Okay. I, I, I do have a concern about that. When Mostly when I talk about reactionary, it's not saying, okay, they made adjustments. Of course, we want to see them make adjustments. Part of that is always the reactions that, that need to kind of be taken into account across a game and across a series. It's more that I don't feel the books forced any Hawks lineup decisions, any tough decisions that affected who was on the floor for the Hawks at any time. The Hawks did that to the books. I think that may have been an overreaction on Bud's part. The adjustment for me would have been, and you, you've already kind of alluded to it, if Brooke is playing drop defense, which of course Brooke is playing drop defense, don't have him be in a deep drop, which he was for most of this game. Just have him be just that little bit further up the floor. Just show higher like you did in the Miami series. Exactly. That would be the adjustment for me because when we get back to like one of the things we talked about earlier and it's like Jeff Teague played minutes and it's like, are we really sure about Bobby Portis at this time? And then Bryn Forbes, not good. I mean, he made one tree, but I, I just, it, this is not Bryn Forbes time. They don't have other options. And this is something that Ty was one of the first people on to his credit 
we'll give him some credit. I mean, he may have cost the books the game. Yeah, he lost them the game, so don't don't gas him up too much. Just a little bit of credit from a while back. He made the point when Dante went down injured, the books just have got to play Brookmore. Got to play Brookmore because they they don't have enough. They need to keep their best players in the four. They need to maximize the minutes those guys are out there. Brook played 20 minutes tonight. This is after against the Nets. The Nets, they were able to keep him out there and play 45 minutes. That shouldn't be the case. And for me, that was an overreaction. It would be fine if you had another playable guard. You do not have another playable guard. Pat Connaughton has been having a good playoff. You know, I think he's, I think he was pretty good at times. I won't stand for Sam Merrill slander on this podcast. I'm not going to talk about Sam Merrill at all. So don't worry about it. Uh, Pat Connaughton's been having pretty good games throughout the playoffs. You know, my concern is we've talked about how well he's done. And we saw some of it tonight. He defended Gallinari a couple of times. Gallinari couldn't move him. I think he made one shot over him, but that was like one of four. So Pat against a four, even a really tall four like Gallo, that's okay. You can live with that. That can work. The problem is if you're taking Brooke out of the game and the books are going Giannis to five, um, PJ beside him, like for all of the good that comes with that, you're really ending up with Pat closer to the two. Now, maybe just the adjustment of there is the two needs to be Chris. You need to work for that to be Chris more than Pat, but you're switching everything anyway, and you're going to end up in tougher spots. Pat on Trey Young, not good. That is not something we need to see a whole lot of. But then is it worse than what you're going to get with Bryn Forbes? <laughs> it's certainly not worse than if uh, Trey Young was looking at Bobby Portis. Like these are the tough decisions you're finding yourself in by going smaller. So I think it's vital for them in the series. Giannis at the five and going there is going to be key in bursts. I think maybe just that there was a little too much of it here. And I would be wary of getting to a point where you're too reliant on it because you just don't have the guys. Otherwise, you're you're going to create other problems where you might handle it better with Brooke. And again, like I think the game plan clearly is, and I wouldn't have an issue with the game plan being, you know, the books are happy to concede floaters to Trey Young. Let him shoot floaters to his heart's content. Like he can go for 48 and the books can still win the game. They could have won this one if they'd been just a little bit sharper. And that's a game where he got a lot going for him. He's not going to have all of that every single night. I just think there's a balance there and all around, like just everything was too loose. It was dealing in the extremes. It was like, oh, here's six minutes of Jeff Teague. And, you know, we're going to have multiple ovations from the fans from Bobby Portis. Biggest cheers of the first half for Bobby Portis, which, yeah, great. But, you know, bigger things at stake here. Um, I just, there's a balancing act there that Bud was way off on and the players weren't necessarily always managing themselves on the floor too. I thought that was a fantastic point by you saying that Giannis at the five just needs to be in burst and all of these things need to be in burst because we saw that tonight. I mentioned that they found something in that late third quarter. That's because it worked in the late third quarter Mm -hmm. and early fourth quarter. And then it didn't. Like it, sure, it's not like the Hawks solved it or anything, but you just can't do that for the entire game. If you want to take that to the extreme, extreme, just think about the Golden State Warriors. 
if it's their lineup of death, why didn't they just start it? Why didn't they just play that the whole game? Because it's untenable. You can't really do that for extended periods of time. There's lots of other problems that can arise from doing so, which is why I thought that was a great point by you. It's just, I don't know. Bobby Portis as well. That was a great point. Like in bursts, it's fine. Like he comes in there and makes an immediate impact scoring. And he was just, he, he was, he was getting good minutes. And you know who was missing tonight, right? You know who was missing? Thanasis. Seriously. And when it was flat in the first half, you need to get the crowd up. Give Thanasis his 30 seconds. <laughs> what? Seriously. That is, give, that is music to my ears. Give Alan. the guy his 30 seconds and get everyone into it. Have him make one good defensive play. Um, doesn't even have to be a good defensive play. One wild defensive play where he can and just F- run just around Just have him show effort. You even you don't even wild. need him to make a defensive play. Like Trey could just miss a shot, and Tanasis will go running, screaming his head off down the tunnel for half time, and everyone's into it then. And there was just there was a bit of that missing. If you're going to play Jeff Teague, I think I'd rather see Tanasis get some of those minutes. For sure, for sure. Like if you want to eat at a little bit of Bobby Portis's minutes as well, that's fine. Because like I was saying, Bobby Portis just he was an initial burst, and that's fine. But then the Hawks found a way to just weaponize that. And they did it to their advantage. They just started just, I don't know, making Bobby Portis look like he has no idea what's going on in the court because he really has no good options out there. If he's playing a deep drop, my goodness, if we talk about Brooke Lopez in a deep drop, Bobby Portis is like at the bottom of the Marianas Trench on drop defense. (laughs) Like, my goodness. I don't understand it. Giannis had a couple the... of moments of that too, though. Exactly. And... Exactly. I just, I, I don't know what to do with that. Doing it, if multiple players are doing that, there's one explanation. Oh, for I... sure. For <laughs> sure. We know, we know that's the case. Like we know where the drop comes from for all of the good that it's done for the books over the years. And for all of the ways that it continues to burn them in moments like this. We, we know that. It's the nonsense. Uh, yeah. My my thing with this is always, you know, if you're a player, right? I'm not saying to, you know, just zone out, ignore things your coach is saying. But something like the drop, right? Just what's what's wrong with another couple of feet up the floor? Just what's wrong with a couple, you know, just tiptoe your way up the floor. Who's gonna say anything? Who's gonna really do notice? a LeBron on David Blatt sort of thing? <laughs> yeah, exactly that kind of thing. But I, I, Giannis should never find himself in a drop at all. And look, to the credit, the switch, once they went to switching, that wasn't the case. They found some success. But it does just go back to my concern is I don't think they have enough players to get away with this because they have no guard depth. And they just, they need a playable guard. It's where they miss Dante. It's not even they're missing Dante. They need, if Bryn Forbes was just passable in ways that I think we were hoping he could be against Miami, you know, it's a different story, but it's not, it's not happening for him at all. Like talk about a guy who would have made a lot more money if the books went out in the first round. Well, when you put it that way, <laughs> uh, it's the truth. It is. Yeah. I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. But yeah, they just, they really, they really miss Dante. I do want to put this in a little bit of context, though, because 
you could say similar things about Atlanta's players, which is why it comes down to Milwaukee in that sense, because they are not asserting themselves. Mm -hmm. If you want to talk about guys who are like, oh, we just need someone who's passable on defense to stay with the buck. It's like Bogdan Bogdanovich can barely move out there. Kevin Herter is not a lockdown defender. Like, I, I don't know what you want. Like, Lou Williams is playing significant minutes. And Maybe not playing not well. Not even giving anything offensively, really. Like, you know, for all its flaws, minus 12 in 12 minutes was his plus minus. And he didn't really do anything. And I I don't think he'll be in this series for long. I, that's my my prediction on that is I don't think maybe beyond game two, we're going to be seeing Lou Will. If we're seeing Lou Will beyond game two, I'm very worried about the books. Um, but he should just be sent packing from this series by the books. There's there's no place for him. Solomon Hill um, just completely, you know, his whole, not, not to get into any kind of body shaming, his body shape has evolved over the years, Rohan, right? He's a completely, he does not look like Solomon Hill from early Pacers days, but he has some quickness. There was that one time where he just like turned the afterburners and he went by Drew Holiday. I was like, yeah, fake okay. DHL and went right to the rim. Yeah, yeah that was a, don't, that was a don't like this, but uh, okay. But I'm not Solomon Hill. Come on, we've been we're long past the point where Solomon Hill types are causing the books problems in both ways. You've got to take advantage of all that. I, I mean. This is the thing with the matchup, and I, I don't feel any differently about it coming out of game one. It's just the books kind of have whatever they want with that. But first of all, realize the urgency of doing that. I mean, just because you've got seven games to get it done doesn't mean to, you need to use all seven rounds. I think that's that's kind of something that maybe, just maybe, I, I should be pointed that. out to the books now. I mean, you're, you're talking about the team who uh, is coached by the guy who constantly uses the use it or lose it timeout. So I don't know about that one. I don't know. That's, that's a very McEwen good point. beat him to that one today. Did you notice that? I was wild. That was just like a giant middle finger to my Boone Milzer by Nate McMillan there at the end of the second half. My goodness. Timeouts were the worst part of Bud's coaching today. Like there was some competition, but timeouts were the worst. And I think the most destructive, there was the time where he, where he didn't challenge and then he took a timeout immediately after where you're like, maybe just take the challenge then, you know, it's, it's the same thing. And then there was also when the Hawks were really just getting their run going. And I think they stretched the lead out to eight points and you're just waiting, you're waiting. It's like, now would be a good time for a timeout or now would be a good time for a timeout or maybe even now, and it just wasn't happening. And Giannis was standing at the scorer's table waiting to get back in, and he was waiting and waiting and waiting. Like, it, it's just all around regular season game, start to finish. Everyone, players, exception of Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday was dialed all the way up from opening tip to the final buzzer. Other than that, there was no player, even Giannis playing well. He had his moments of, oh, this is regular season. And Bud certainly had his regular season moments. Just, this is the conference finals. You may not get back here again. You may not get back here again. All these people, you may not get back here again. Giannis, like, as good as Giannis is, two-time MVP, defensive player of the year, 
there's no guarantee you get back to this Just point. Just ask the Clippers. But honestly, ask the books. Like, yeah. I go back two years and be like, oh, yeah, well, this is going to be a yearly occurrence. Then look at just how poorly things went the year after that. And let's not pretend there hasn't been some good fortune and some close calls to get to this point right now. You're here. You've got to just play like this is the last chance you're ever going to get for it. And that wasn't there. And it's going to have to be there game two because you just don't want to be in any kind of squeaker for game two because otherwise, I mean, I don't know if I want to be on that podcast, let's just say. Oh boy, I can't. let's let's not let's not get too no, let's no. not get too ahead of ourselves. Here. We do, we don't need to. And again, to stress, I think there isn't reason to feel overly defeated or down for everything that's happened here. It's not a case of even oh you know the argument isn't just oh Trey scored forty eight. It's unsustainable. He won't do it again. No, no, he might do it again, but that is not going to be enough to just guarantee a Hawks win every time. Like uh, the books really can live with that. I understand how counterintuitive that seems to be, but they can live with them hitting floaters. I just think it's all around. It's the small decisions they make on the margins, how they tailor their defense around that and how they just can crank the pressure up on them when it really matters. You know, if you score a lot of points in the second quarter, really as this game was going, you know, which is, he found it much tougher down the stretch. So what you need to do, the books just didn't execute a couple of times. And there you go. You got punished for being in a close game. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Yeah, for sure. I. He really did start to get, it started getting really tougher in the second half, like you just mentioned. Let's, let's, let's talk about the good. I feel like I'm getting mm-hmm. too down. Drew. Yeah. Let's talk about Drew Holiday. We finally got a solid offensive performance from Drew Holiday in the playoffs. We have been waiting for this moment uh, for now. This is the third round because uh, we didn't see it in the first round. We did not see it in the second round at all. We, we got here. 
Uh, wow. Okay. Giannis overtook him in points. Didn't realize that. <laughs> I was about to say he was leading scorer for the Bucks. No, he was one, one short of Giannis. He puts up 33. Giannis puts up his number 34 on 14 of 25 shooting, but that's a little bit masked by him going five of 12 from three, which again, 40%. Did, yeah, that's good. Like that's solid. And inside the arc, he was a solid, what, what is that? Nine of 13. Like that's great. Like he, he had a good offensive performance, also putting up 10 assists, getting two steals and just playing good defense when he was on ball, good to great defense when he was on ball. Even when he was off ball, he was getting into passing lanes. He was disrupting angles. He was all over the place for Milwaukee tonight. And this, this is important. I thought this would be the matchup that defined this series. Me too. And it's, it's not a great showing for us because uh, Drew Holiday plays excellent and the Bucs lose. Uh, so just on its face, it doesn't seem great. But I still think that this is the matchup that defines this series because for the first time in the, this playoff run for the, Atlanta, for the Atlanta Hawks, they are facing a guard who can punish them off the dribble. And that's exactly what Drew Holiday did tonight. He made Trey Young work on the defensive end or whoever else was matched up onto him. It wasn't Trey Young. Initially, it was like sometimes it was Bogdan. I cannot believe that they started that game with Bogdan on Drew Holiday. Like, what are you doing? Like, do you, do you value this man's health whatsoever? <laughs> like, I get you don't want to put Trey Young on him, but you're going to put Trey Young on PJ Tucker and have Bogdan who can't move on Drew Holiday. Like, shame on you, Nate McMillan. Is it fair to say Bogdan would have been treated better somewhere else? You know, somewhere else he would have been treated better, Rowan. He should know that there was a place they would have taken better care of him than to put him on Drew Holiday. Are you? Um, I, I assume you're referring to the Kings. Uh, yes, ability the Kings. To match Absolutely. The that's, the Kings, that's the only thing. That only you the Kings and to. nothing but the Kings. Please don't Drew, join us, <laughs> Drew Holiday. I, I think this is I, I think you let off with solid. Like this is kind of his A plus. Like yeah. this is his A plus. My one thing I don't like is all of the three pointers because you can get whatever you want inside again. Even more so in this series than the last one, though. And I think it's crucial. Go and get those easy shots. Go and get those easy shots. And if you're to pass out, you can pass out. It gives a different avenue for the books to have, you know. Guys who can be hit on the move, which is usually it's only Giannis who Giannis is getting inside and it's like, who's cutting? What can we get to going to the rim? You can now get that off of Drew Holiday on top of him, say, backing down or posting up against Trey Young. Now, they mostly managed to avoid that exact matchup, but like the couple of times they did, you get like John Collins rushing over for a double team and Drew's just like, okay, Here's a dunk at the rim, Giannis. You know, that's just so easy. It's so, so easy. You can rinse or pee that. And I think they did. Like in that fourth quarter, they, they did were just but, spamming Drew Giannis pick and rolls, and it was working. But Drew can do it a lot more than even like tonight was his best jump shooting night in a long time. It's maybe as good as it gets. I don't need to see him take all that many jumpers. I was not complaining at any point tonight. But I don't want that to be his mindset then for the series. Like if he's if he's taking that many jumpers early in game two, the results are very unlikely to be quite as positive. And I think what's really there for him as just, you know, low hanging fruit is inside. It's getting to the rim and there's going to be a lot of joy there. And I was encouraged by how 
not very smart of the Hawks um, to put Bogdan on him to start. But he went at him and he got he got going basically off the back of that early on, which considering just how poorly the books and Drew included in that targeted and injured James Harden when he couldn't move in the previous series, it was refreshing to at least see the injured guy get picked on early this time. It's such a weird sentence. This is <laughs> this is where we are. So, you know, I know it's, like, it's completely it's completely Pick on the injured I'm not, guy. I'm not saying you said anything wrong. It's just hearing no, that I know just sounds I know what you mean. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, they did exactly what they needed to do in that scenario right there. And that's what they were getting back to. Like I talked about this on our preview. They need to utilize the game plan that they had against Miami, which is just contain guards and just attack them defensively. Just hunt, pick them out and go hunt them. We did not see that as much as we did in the Miami series. Like we, we have to remember they did that every single day in possession, like my goodness. (laughs) And now we're here and they do it to start, but they sort of go away from that. They get in their own heads. They overreact. Like you were talking about, they just, they beat themselves. It's almost like they feel like they can't do something twice in a row. Otherwise it's just like, Oh, this is boring. Like, oh, we got to mix it up and do this, which I, you have to. I'm being facetious, obviously. But you can use the same sort of devices and actions in that sort of respect. Like, you can utilize the same strategies. It doesn't have to be the same exact play every time. But you can, you know, say, oh, this guy is the weakest defender on the court. Let's tire him out. Let's go and attack him and get easy baskets. Because, again, this is the Eastern Conference Finals. (laughs) Like This is not a late February game on a Wednesday at like 9 p.m. local time that no one cares about. They need confirmation, though. They're playing the Hawks. It's Bucks Hawks. That's true. That's true. Are we we actually sure that this is the Conference Finals? I, I was really doubting it. I was honestly finding it very difficult to concentrate through the first quarter because I was like this is so regular season I don't even I don't have even the slightest sense of like butterflies watching this I was just as relaxed as could be the books were clearly even more relaxed than I was which is not a good sign and the whole thing the building it was like everyone's like oh you know nice nice day out um you know you ordered the drinks you're gonna go get something from the concessions like that was say hi to big time Ty. yeah yeah a big time tie will be up on like some sort of skybox, right? I mean, there's no. Oh yeah, true, true. You wouldn't be able to get near big time tie. That's that's the rules. I'm pretty sure. Cordoned off, you know, no it touching. Was on bodyguards. Yeah, exactly. Um, but let's just one tie can't go to any more games. That's the rule. Ever again, he's barred. I stopped um, going to the Deer District. Ty, you gotta <laughs> you gotta respect this man. Yeah, I, I don't think he'll probably be in the greatest rush anyway, just by by nature of having made the trip and, you know, conference finals, this is the moment that the Hawks win. So I don't know if he'll be in quite as much of a rush as he may have been otherwise. But it depends on how good the depends on how good the ticket hookups are, you know? Depends how good Ty's seats are, how close to the floor he is, probably very close. He's he can probably fill next in to David Bakhtiari as he's chugging the beers. Like, 
for sure. I was keeping my eyes peeled, but you know, the cameras they go way up. They go way up in the stands. So you wouldn't see Ty there. He's much lower to the floor. It's enough about Ty, really. Okay, let's t- let's talk about the keys to this series because you and I both agree, and we've talked about this already this episode, that we agree that this is still firmly in Milwaukee's control and that Correct. they should win this series probably ideally in five games. I've predicted four games. I haven't gotten a series right <laughs> so far. Uh, that, I guess, continues because <laughs> I... I picked uh, Bucks and four here. Um, I have a nighter. I, I think I've picked five, six, and now I've picked five. So I picked. I've had a habit pick. of being one out. So I picked six seven. This time? Yeah, I picked seven, five, and now four. Wow, you're. <laughs> <laughs> if they get true, are you picking Bucks and three? Is that this is the trend I'm hearing here? It's just you're getting more and more confident with every round, which considering what we've actually seen round to round, that is a bold, bold choice. It is, it's very bold, but that's that's how I know how to do it. But again, we both agree that this should be a relatively easy series for Milwaukee. So, Adam, we've talked a lot about defense, offense. What do you think is the biggest key that Milwaukee needs to do in game two to come out with a victory? Well, I'll give one that I don't like because it's very wishy-washy and it's kind of out of our control, like most things are. It's out of the book's control too, though, which is a problem. Let's make some shots. Make some shots. Created great, great looks as they usually do, but I think better than usual tonight. And other than Drew Holiday, they were three of 24 from deep. Take Drew out of the equation. That is that is grim, and that is not gonna get it done. So make some shots. I think Chris going all of nine from from deep is where you've got to start with that rough, rough shooting night for him. He made a couple of shots late that I hoped is this it is this going to be the spark? But no, it was a bad game. Chris was bad tonight. It, it does get to a point where we've got to ask like, can the Bucks ever just have all three guys? show up and play well it's not even could we get a run of multiple games that could we just once get Giannis, chris and drew all on the top of their game see what that looks like it seems like it might be too much to ask it might be too much to ask to ask them to make shots realistically like i just looked up the tracking data in terms of like how much they get wide open uh three-pointers or just field goal attempt do you want to know, uh, this is not including this game, the tracking data is not available for this game yet, but it did not help this cause whatsoever. Uh, dead last in wide open three-point field goal percentage for the playoffs is your Milwaukee Bucks at 30.1%. Sure. And we're used to this. This is year in, year out. It's a, a good, not always as good as they've been even this year, um, shooting team in the regular season comes into the playoffs and they're like, just forget how to shoot. It's it's disastrous. And this was ultimately, I, I think, never was it more of an issue than the last time they're in the conference finals, where it's just like the shots are there. Could we please make some of them? Please, some of you capable shooters. I mean, there's parts of that too, that decision making early on, some really great ball movement. More of that, and this is easy. This is like blowout wins and we'll be over in five. You can move the ball like you did at times in the first quarter. There is nothing to worry about here. That went away, and there was one crucial shot 
um, the worst shot of the bunch that an extra pass and the Bucks might have won this game. And that was Pat's airball tree late when PJ Tucker was wide open in the corner in his favorite spot. And you're just like, extra One pass does the no harm position. anyway, but particularly, yes, to PJ, the best in the league in that particular spot on the floor. So that's the kind of example where, you know, just not a heads up play, some panic setting in late on, but all around, I think they could put themselves in some better positions. They could get guys some better looks. If you're I gonna... feel like we got that exact same play in the Brooklyn series, right? Where Pat Coniston gets the air ball and then PJ Tucker comes and cleans it up. Yeah, they just cleaned it up better against the Nets. Yeah, no. Is that the play where Giannis got that uh, standing dunk over Jeff Green? I'm pretty sure it is. I was like, I was watching that play. I was like, I swear I've seen this before. Yeah, they just actually managed to secure the rebound, which that was one of the things I was thinking about. And that was the point in the game where I really started to think about, are we, are we convinced that the books need to be going quite as much on us at the five here? Because they suddenly started to lose out on some boards. And there was a play... There's a possession maybe a minute or so after that where the Hawks got three offensive rebounds. And it's like, this is not who the Hawks are at all. This is an area where the books should be bludgeoning them. And they, in the end, they lost the rebound battle. And that wasn't the case for a lot of the game, but this ended up 55 or sorry, 51 45 in the Hawks' favor on the glass, which is a problem (laughs) you know you just you can't have that happen and they out rebounded the books in terms of defensive class so they're things that they are not staples of watching the milwaukee books at any time in the bud era for everything else that goes wrong you can usually hang your hat in your rebounding but the rebounding did go amiss and it went amiss late in the game and there are a couple of examples, offensive and defensive end, where, where that began to hurt them. So, I mean, going back to kind of some of the key things that we can look for in the series, rebounding is one of them. If the books are going to lose the rebounding battle, you know, you certainly can't not make shots and not win the rebounding battle. I think that's, that's a surefire recipe for failure. So with that in mind, there are two massive, massive areas for the books to clean things up on heading into game two. Yeah, like this was an eight-rebound discrepancy for Milwaukee. This is only the third time this postseason they've been out-rebounded, and the previous two times against Brooklyn, it was by one rebound each game. It's Milwaukee has built themselves on being a dominant rebounding team in this postseason. Ty and I have joked about like weaponizing your size. Please do not send us screenshots of those videos. <laughs> um, just that's at they, or they, Caddy Jr. <laughs> please don't. Um, I, I, I tweeted something sus today, but uh, we'll see. I must have missed that, thankfully. Uh, don't go back. <laughs> uh, let's move on. Um, but yeah, they really need to win that rebounding battle because these are the possessions that matter. And Adam is looking at my tweets. Uh, <laughs> oh boy. Um, you keep talking. Yeah. I'll, I'll keep scrolling. Yeah, I figured you would. Uh, these are these extra possessions that really matter. Like this in the end is a one possession game in Atlanta. <laughs> oh, wow. 
Kiko, we'll say no more. Atlanta was winning the rebounding battle by eight. Don't look for my Twitter timeline, everyone. That's why Ty opened up, you know, explicit labels for the episodes for. (laughs) Just, just, just don't worry about it. It's just, just don't worry about it. But yeah, rebounding is a massive, massive battle that this team needs to win. And that might be my biggest key as well. Like you need to just play bigger overall. You need to just assert yourself against this small Hawks team. Like they have two guys in their rotation, or excuse me, three guys in their rotation who are taller than 6'8". I think Capella's 6'9", isn't he? Like that's the other thing. He's got length. He's obviously a really strong guy, but I'm pretty sure Clint Capella is 6'9". Like, as centers go, he is not the tallest. I do have one thing on Clint Capella that really kind of feeds into Giannis. So maybe this is the point in a post-game podcast where we go, should we talk about Giannis? Ah, oh, shoot, uh, I did it again. Yeah, this is, you know, you always forget about Giannis. This is very different than any postseason challenge Giannis has faced in three years. The Hawks cannot wall him off in the same way that other teams can. And Clint Capella cannot do it. I don't know if you noticed it. Giannis is able to kind of drive into his body and finish and move him and finish over him, which again is just that difference in height. But there was these kind of, you know, it's, it's soft touch. It's knowing exactly just how much you need to create a tiny bit of space and being able to finish which was very, very different to what you usually see at this point, where you see, okay, who have we got? Who's either the most imposing big that an opponent has or the longest big, the most active hands? Like, Clint Capella is a very good defender, but it just seemed like there was a bit more joy. And one of the ways where that jumped off off the screen to me is, you know, the play that we've really grown to hate. I say we as you and I, as Ty, as Jordan, but it likely also applies to everyone listening, which is Giannis gets the ball. Giannis begins to dribble, a couple of steps inside the arc. Oh, no, we're going to go back out again. And it's, it's just rocking his defender back and forth. I think that might work in this series. I think against Clint Capella, there is much more joy there for that than there was certainly against the Nets. Um, and you know what? Certainly against the Heat as well. There was a time where Clint Capella came out with that. And I would be curious to see if that will continue to happen. Because it, when Giannis backs out and goes to go again, you should be dropping way off. Clint Capella wants to come out. He wants to come out and meet him. And in coming out and meeting him, that is where Giannis can use his body and kind of just kind of just like brush his way through him. That's all it was. It was not taking anything, again, not the kind of contact that's going to rack up offensive fouls. Another major problem generally for Giannis. Not tonight. I think only one, um, which was a good thing if I do have that right, because he had four overall. I believe it was just one, yeah. If he had his usual kind of three offensive fouls, he's fouling out of the game. So I want to see more of that. I can't believe I'm saying it. But I, if Giannis is going to do that, I, I'm curious to see just a couple of goes around. See, does does Clint Capella just keep coming up? Does he keep coming up? Why are you coming up and showing Giannis space in behind? Because that was one thing that was very interesting to me. Like this wasn't a difficult game for Giannis at all, and 
if Bucks fans, even some who are really kind of having a hard time feeling positive about the rotation decisions, about some of the, the ways the defense didn't hold up very well or what they allowed Trey Young to have. I think the thing to really kind of just, you know, deep breath, sit down and think about is Giannis didn't have a anything difficult. You know, this this game is really here for him. He had a great game and honestly he didn't he didn't play to his best. He he wouldn't have to do much to find himself matching Trey Young. You know, it wouldn't take much to go that bit extra. If you wanted to. Mm-hmm. It's there for him every single possession. Like the the Hawks can't do anything. Like Clint Capella, you're mentioning, is just like showing on these horrible plays. And it's not just us, by the way. You can hear the entire arena and everyone in the Deer District just like just agony when that happens. But it's working even against Clint Capella, who's the Hawks' best option by far on Giannis. We talked earlier, John Collins, like Giannis doesn't have to try to score on John Collins. And John Collins is their second best option. You want to put Gallinari on him? My goodness, Gallinari's knees aren't going to hold up to make that quick of a turn. Don't forget big solo hill. Oh, my goodness. Oh, he's just, he's, you mentioned earlier, he's just thick. That's yeah. his defensive skill. <laughs> like, I, I he, don't know when it quite happens. But I don't know either. I noticed honest. it. It's about a year ago was when I first noticed it. And I was like, was it when wow. he was with the Grizzlies? He was with the being Grizzlies, a, right? Being an evolution there in, a, in Solomon Hill's game. We'll just put it as. Yeah, I think it was in Memphis. Yeah, probably. I, it, well, it was when he, after he left the Pacers. I feel like he left the Pacers as, you know, not quite Trevor Ariza skinny, but a, a different kind of defender just entirely in terms of what you'd even ask him to do. And he may have, you know, elongated his career by bulking I know up he, he did a... go to New Orleans, which would explain a little bit. Mm. I would explain that. Where, of course, he sense. played with Drew. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. Oh, that was an experiment. Uh, <laughs> who, was they at, uh, who was the center that they had? It was like a European center. European center, Nicolo Melli? No, no, he's new. Is he center. <laughs> what? Whatever. It, it, this is really important. So, so, you know, someone tweeted. The Hawks beat the Bucks. Yes. <laughs> Ron, Ron was like, is... who was that European center who played with Drew Holiday and Solomon Hill for the Pelicans? Listen, this is a post game pod with you and me. Only good things uh, for us. Um, happen let's 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 assume they're good things for the listeners too let's just let's keep it at that but yes i just want to put it out there nicolo melli is a center who played for the pelicans maybe not quite what you're saying but you know no yeah i I know i'm aware of that i'll I'll look it up afterward (laughs) but yes Giannis, everything is going to be there for him he like i mentioned earlier he could go out there and score 60 if he really wanted to and maybe he should like, maybe if some of those Chris Middleton shots, we should mention this a little bit. Like, sure, no, too... it's Chris was bad. Yeah, Chris, was, Chris wasn't great. He was not great whatsoever. Uh, oh, of nine from deep, just six of 23 from the field overall, puts up 15 points. That's just because he got to the free throw line a few times. I have an but... observation on this, though, and I don't think it's a great one. It's not the most encouraging, whether it's this series, whether it's Let's hope there's a next series, or even if it's just longer term. 
is part of the reason all three guys don't have a good game together because when Drew goes, there's no room for Chris to go and vice versa. Because the, the really key area, think of how Chris has dictated the book's playmaking more than anything throughout this postseason. And then you look at Drew with 10 assists tonight and Chris is then down to only four assists. Like there, there is this definite ebb and flow where if one of those guys has got it going, I'm not sure the other guy is getting the touches that maybe they need just for their style of play to get it going. It, it is crazy. It's crazy. This is the conference finals, but also the books have got to this point. But I have felt all season that just the dynamics of all of that haven't entirely worked themselves out yet. I think it's very possible those players could be playing better together next season than they are this season. But I like Chris and Drew both playing well at the same time. I don't know if anyone at Team USA has been alerted to this, but I can't think of too many instances. It feels like it's often one or the other. Yeah, I think part of that is because if Drew is getting going and really playmaking, or one of them is really controlling the playmaking, the other doesn't settle into a catch-and-shoot role, realistically, or working off secondary creation. They, Whenever they get the ball, they want to turn into the primary creator again. So when the other guy's going, like in this instance, tonight it was Drew who was really getting it going, like Chris needs to settle into an axillary role. Like, he needs to realize, like, oh, Drew is really dictating things tonight. I need tonight's a night where I'm a catch-and-shoot guy. And The problem versus- is he's not good at that. He's good as a catch-and-shoot. You know, he can – I'm not saying he's not a good catch-and-shoot player. It's just not who he is, and he can only score from catch-and-shoot looks within the flow of his game rather than just, here, be a catch-and-shoot guy. And we know this – because this was one big adjustment that Bud looked to make when he first came to Milwaukee was, we're going to take away your mid-range, you're going to be you know, ultra-optimized in the paint behind the three-point line. It did not work. It did not work. Chris needs his touches. He needs to be able to put the ball on the floor, look to take guys off the dribble, pull up, get his ISO looks. That's who he is as a player. So he is definitely the one of the two skills wise that is much better suited to making catch and shoot looks he just has not shown to be that and it's funny then because on a night like tonight drew got it going drew was actually doing great work on catch and shoot but i you're right on that my one concern is as much as it seems possible i don't think that's ever really kind of come to the fore with chris no, it really hasn't. And like you were saying, I think you hit it really well there. It's probably going to work better next season because these guys aren't, you know, super, still super familiar with each other. Like this is still year one for this core. Uh, but yeah, like they haven't had a player like Drew Holiday who can just, you know, dictate the pace of the game in the postseason at that position. Now they do. And the other guys, like not even Giannis, like Chris, Chris needs to adjust to that. Not Giannis. Giannis did fine in that role. Like he was, he was out there as a finisher tonight, and it was perfect. Like he was playing both roles as an initiator and as a finisher, and he was great. Again, Giannis, great game. Do more of this. <laughs> but yeah, Chris didn't really settle into that role. 
it's just, it's tough. Neither guy really can settle into that role. We saw it. We saw like the best idealized version of that was late in the fourth quarter of game seven. Realistically, when Chris was really initiating well and Drew was playing off of him and getting his looks there, we saw that for a brief couple minutes stretch. And it's like, oh, this is what it can be like. But we just haven't seen it at a full game level. And we still have yet to see that. And it's plaguing them against the Atlanta Hawks. One player we haven't really talked about is PJ Tucker. I don't know if we've mentioned him at all, other than the pack could have passed him for the, the tree that he airballed. Are you still... Is this, is this the right starting lineup? Is this the right starting lineup even... Maybe more so if you want to play more Giannis at the five. Are you going to just find a better balance across the course of the game if PJ's coming in later? You know, if he's not burning five minutes with Brooke to begin the game, to begin the second half, like he played 35 minutes, which I'm sure he can go more, but let's also not forget the miles and the clock, the age that PJ Tucker is, and even just what his season was like with injuries and with not playing before even getting to Milwaukee. You don't want to really kind of burn the candle at both ends there. And... I don't know. I mean, I think I'm generally still in favor of it. He, he did well on Trey, and I think more than anything, Trey respected him without him doing anything. You know, the reputation mattered there in a way that it doesn't with Pat. And the, the alternative is that you move PJ Tucker out, you say you're going to be playing a lot more late in game, and we're going to be going small, you're going to be alongside Giannis at the five, Pat's going to start. I think there are possible pros to that, but Pat is undoubtedly easier for, for Trey Young to get at than PJ Tucker is, in spite of the fact that PJ doesn't have like the greatest of quickness anymore. You know, he's, he's good for covering a quick, bigger guy, but I don't know if we want to see Trey get him on skates too much, although maybe, maybe Trey Young just sees him. He's like, that's PJ Tucker. I don't want that, any of that, which it did feel like a couple of times when he got that look in this game. Yeah. Well, PJ also plays really physically and like Trey is already hurt mm-hmm. <laughs> with a shoulder injury and you could see him sort of laboring with that a little bit. And it's just like, uh, yeah, P- PJ is a, he's a, he's a big guy, uh, <laughs> very, very strong guy. So I understand, I understand Trey's sort of aversion to that. But yeah, it has to be Pat if you're changing the starting rotate. Like, there's no right. other option. There's, there's no other option. You can't start Bryn. I would be fine with the Nassus, honestly. Like yeah. that's it's half a joke, but like half serious. <laughs> like I'd rather start the Nassus over Bryn Forbes and Bobby Portis. I'm not. Just to be clear, I am not saying to start the Nassus. This no, is no, no. I'm not saying that either. <laughs> Rowan might just be dipping a his toe bit, in the water. He's throwing it out there as a joke. But it's just a test of water. See next yeah. time, you know, can he get away with pushing a first? You're not supposed to reveal this strategy. I'm four more minutes for Tadasis. Yes, for sure. Don't know about to, starting, but more it minutes, has to sure. Be Pat. It has to be Pat if you're really starting. And you might, you might have to do it. Honestly, like it you don't have to do it right now. I'll say that. If it's they go down oh two. That's what I'm saying. If it if you go down 0-2, you have to do that. Oh, if you go down 0-2, though, you're you're staring down a barrel of a gun. It's like 
it's not too late, but it's late. It's late early. <laughs> um, yes. If if you go down 0-2 against the but Hawks they, in the they, conference finals. They still could have won this game even the way they played. 100%. And if they, and if they make the adjustments that we were talking about and have been talking about, they can easily, they should easily win game two, even with this starting lineup. I don't know. It's just with Pat, it's it comes down to his three-point shot a lot of the time. And it just wasn't there to them. Like, even though also just not not a fan of the haircut. Also, yeah, I, I it was it was, odd. it was um not very well faded around the sides. No, either. it's just not great. There was there were some rough clumps. I have been cutting my own hair for over a year now. Um, you know, pandemic times, something I'd never done before. It's not hard. <laughs> there are parts of it that are really hard. But I mean, it's not hard to not have some of the clumpy bits that Pat had. So maybe go back, you know, redo fresh cut for game two and it brings some new shooting look. Maybe it might like it's just you got to change it like that. That wasn't I noticed look. that, too. I, I didn't I didn't really dwell on it, but I did notice that. So it's interesting that we both noticed that. Yeah, it's just, I think it was that replay where he got the foul on Trey Young after spiking the shot, or Chris Middleton had the foul, and you could see him just sort of screaming, and I was just like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, like, Pat, come on, you're, you're a good-looking guy, you can, you, you need to do this, whatever, Pat, Cottage, you also need to get your three-point shot down, <laughs> that, I don't know, it's just a lot of decision-making into this team just really bothers me, but yeah, it would have to be Pat Connaughton if you go away from PJ, but I don't think PJ is really he had, he didn't play bad enough to no no I I I personally would stick with the starting line for now just to be clear on that I'm just partially kind of talking it true not even playing devil's advocate it's just I think it's one of the things that, that should be on the table game to game in this series is like would it be beneficial to do it now is now the time. I think there may well be a time in the series where you make that move. And it's it's not even going to be about, oh, PJ can't do this or PJ's not playing well. It's going to be, where can we better utilize PJ? Like, does it really matter calling him a starter? I don't think so. I Some of those early minutes may be wasted. We'll find out as the series goes on. I think for now, I would stick with it. The reality, and this is a little scary, is that the books could make absolutely zero adjustments. I know this is what everyone wants to hear. The books could make zero adjustments and win game two and win game two, maybe even comfortably. Like that's, that's in play here. Now, if that happens, that would probably then lead to them losing game three, but they don't need to overreact. Why is that scary? Because we're encouraging them not to make any adjustments. And, you know, if you give Bud just a little, you're like, hey, you know, you can just do it again. Just send them out there be like, yeah, go compete. Um, get in front of the guys. Uh, I, I love Bud. Bud is not a good interview. That interview with Stephanie Reddy, it's third quarter. Ooh, it's one of the worst yet. It's like, how did... Because... <laughs> Her questions were pressing him, like really, like and and how are you going to stop Trey? You know, he's like, don't ask me that question, um, <laughs> which is part like 
just obviously he does not want to talk about that on air and he doesn't bat it away as well as other coaches would do. But yeah, it was just not. He just doesn't want to talk in general. He doesn't, but that's not unusual. Nate McMillan is not um, world's greatest talker either. I feel like this is a thing for most coaches. Nate McMillan also not a great coach when it comes to managing rotations. One of his weaknesses too, like we talked about some of those, you know, 12 minutes Lou Williams, 20 minutes Solomon Hill. Sort of books just got to tidy stuff up and really show some urgency. They could start game two like on a 14-0 run and just absolutely blow the doors off like like we saw them do quite a bit against the Heat. You know, I think that is there for them in the next game. But the margin for error is gone, so it is a little scary. You can't just be like, oh, yeah, it's fine. They've got it. Yeah, they should have had it already. Like, we should should be here with the series under control. Yes, 100%. You need to have it because, again, you may never have it again. And if you thought losing to Kawhi Leonard and the Raptors in the conference finals was bad a couple of years ago, well, think again, because this is like, this would be, yeah, we won't even, we won't dwell too much on it. You know, we might have to at some point, let's hope not, but we won't dwell too much on it now just in case, right? Don't, 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 don't make me feel this again. (laughs) It's not me, it's the books. The books are making all of us. Like they don't know how to play off any other way. This is they just they don't know how to box any other way. They don't know how to be a franchise without doing this. Honestly, Let, like let's be honest. <laughs> it's my it's my pinned tweet. It's yep. you, it's week to week. It's always week to week. You cannot you cannot assume that oh well the books are really good there, so they're gonna be good the next time. No, they won't. They're actually gonna be bad. Yep, and then it'll just repeat and repeat, and then we all die. Uh, and then the cycle will keep going. Uh, <laughs> that's really grim. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is what happens. Uh, do you do you see what you're doing to me, Milwaukee? I was so happy after this Brooklyn series. Like, don't do this to me again. This don't is progress. You didn't you didn't shout tonight. You didn't. I, I'm very lose proud your mind. Though. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm I'm trying to keep my sanity. I'm not trying to lose it. I feel like I was too loose with my sanity in the last series. I let it just go all over the place. I'm trying to keep calm for this series. And even though they lost game one to the Atlanta Hawks at home, uh, I'm still I'm still going strong. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks still should be going strong, though. Give me a score prediction, Adam. I hate this. We all hate this. I'm going to do, do it, it every anyway. time. Yeah. 120-98. Oh, boy. Okay. Who's 120? Well, I'm I'm not coming on this podcast to predict a 22-point Hawks win a game two. I, I really, trust me, I would have gone to bed a couple hours ago if that was the case. So, yeah, I am predicting a comfortable Bucks win. Like, they're the wins that are there for them. It doesn't mean that this won't be a series. I just would have liked the books to take it maybe a little bit more serious from the get-go. And then it, maybe it wouldn't have to be a series, but here we are. It's a series now. Yep. The Bucks now are forced to go win a game on the road. Um, yeah, 120-98 is a little... I, I don't know if I'm going to go that far. Uh, the Bucks have struggled to put up 120s in the playoffs so far. I'm going to go 117-108. Wow. Three whole points off 120. 
Yes. <laughs> I was like, wow, he's really they struggle. How low is he gonna go? And it was, you know, one it could be a garbage time tree there that just rims out and I was like, no, see, no one twenty for you. If that happens, I'm gonna celebrate on the post game two pod, by the way. I hope you're ready for this. But yeah, I'm gonna go 117, 108. Like, I don't think I don't think the Hawks are gonna get blown out. We have to respect them that much at this point. Like they're a good team. Like they're I solid. They, I think they could be blown out. I don't No, they like, could I, be. They definitely I don't can think be. it takes I'm away giving from them, them being, the benefit of the doubt. For sure. I'm and I mean that's that's the series overall, which you know. Did you give them the benefit of that before the series? People can check listen, the tape for themselves. Listen, but uh, <laughs> I, I didn't particularly. I gave them. A, I gave them more than you did, which is would not be difficult. But I did give them more than you did, and they're there. They're gonna compete. This is the thing. They're going to compete. I don't think that means that you can't blow them away. But you know, you've got to do it. You've got to kill it properly. You know, take the head off. Don't just be like, oh yeah, it's fine. You know. It's fine. We've got a bit of a lead. What, what could go wrong? A lot. A lot could go wrong. So, you know, when you got your chance, just cut them off at the head. I was going to make a like a Hydra joke. Then I realized that the, the saying is like tomorrow go back. So it doesn't really fit. Whatever. Just, just incredible. Always incredible. Newton didn't get any mentions tonight. Nope. I mean, Drew Holiday beat him up. Like exactly. Yeah, he 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 conquered that demon. I'm not going to say anything else about it. Just now, now Newton has come back up again. I think we've we've covered you everything we need up? to cover. <laughs> I know now. Now that we've just got the mansion in, I think it's it's all done. Yeah. Okay. I guess we could wrap this up here and say thank you for listening to this post game Eurostep win in six collab here on the Eurostep Podcast Network. If you did enjoy the show. Make sure you are subscribed on your podcast platform of choice. Make sure to leave a five-star review on Apple or wherever you can. Just make sure you are giving the love that you that you have for this podcast because I'm sure you do after these episodes. Make sure you check out all of the great content across the Blue Wire Podcast Network and the Eurostep Podcast Network. Uh, stay safe, everyone. Go Bucks, And we will talk to you next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.